I'm Alka Kurian, host of the new podcast, South Asian Films and Books. I'm also a faculty at the University of Washington, Bothell, teaching film, literature, gender and human rights. In this first season of South Asian Films and Books, I'm going to look at how South Asian writers and filmmakers explore some of the major issues and help us make sense of the world that we inhabit. From politics to culture, each episode looks at a topic that impacts and shapes the lives of people living in South Asia and its diasporas. This is South Asian Films and Books, an original podcast broadcast from Seattle. Subscribe to new South Asian Films and Books as soon as possible so you don't miss a single episode. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Professor Ramin Bahrani, director and screenwriter of the film The White Tiger. Released via Netflix on January 22nd, this film is adapted from Aravind Adiga's Booker Prize winning 2008 novel by the same name. The film stars Adarsh Gaurav in his debut lead role, along with the highly acclaimed Bollywood actors Rajkumar Rao and Priyanka Chopra Jonas. The White Tiger is a coming of age drama about Balram Halwai, a poor tea boy from a northern Indian village who transforms himself into a middle class owner of a taxi service for IT call center workers in the southern Indian city of Bangalore. Balram narrates his extraordinary metamorphosis from a servant to entrepreneur by means of letters addressed to the premier of China. At its core, it's a story of a master-slave relationship where the slave redresses the moral wrong of class inequality through rather questionable methods. <laughs> Professor Bahrani is an Iranian-American director, screenwriter, and producer. Critics have celebrated his film Chop Shop as the sixth best film of 2000s and hail Bahrani as the new director of the decade. Bahrani was a recipient of the prestigious 2009 Guggenheim Fellowship. He studied the arts and filmmaking at Columbia University and in Tehran and Paris. He's also a professor of film directing at the Columbia University School of the Arts. He joins me from New York. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's a pleasure. Adiga's 2008 The White Tiger is an Indian story which is addressed to a Chinese reader and is dedicated to and cinematized by an Iranian-American filmmaker, i.e. yourself. It's an incredible example of a radical South-South cross-border cultural production. Talk about that and also what made you choose this novel? Well, I'll start with the easiest, what made me choose the novel. Arvind Adiga and I have been friends for over 20, 25 years now. Um, we were classmates together as undergraduates at Columbia University in New York in the mid 90s. I think we found ourselves in a group of Indian, Iranian, Afghan, Syrian, Lebanese students that somehow found one another. You know, and Arvind and I connected because, I think because we were among the few that wanted to go into the arts. He wanted to be a, a writer, I wanted to be a filmmaker. And we began just sharing ideas about books movies, life, different things, and um, have just been in close touch ever since then. And I would send Arvin my screenplays for his feedback or talk to him about ideas for movies. And he would send me uh, manuscripts of the books he was writing or the short stories he was writing. And we would offer each other feedback. So 
I had been reading drafts of The White Tiger for almost four years before it was published and um, was immediately just amazed by the character he had created in Balram, the tone, the humor, the electric nature of the book was there even in rough form. And um, he loves movies, Arvin. So his novels, Last, Last Man in Tower, Selection Day, which was already made into a series in, on Netflix, Amnesty, his latest novel, all brilliant books. They're all very cinematic. And um, so I had always wanted to make it into a film. Yes, it's a, uh, it involved the, the lead character Balram is sending a wild email from Bangalore to Wen Jiabao in China, the premier of China. I don't know if he actually thinks Wen Jiabao is ever going to read it. You would have to be in touch with the actor or the character if he was alive. But at that time in, in 2006, 2008, when he wrote it and it was published, you know, the world was looking to China and India as the next global superpowers. The countries, both countries were on economic and let's say confidence level highs. There was a booming feeling. And, um, you know, I think the Western world, uh, white people in the West, in Europe and in America were realizing that their place was at the head of the table was being destabilized by the East and the Middle East and the Southeast. So that seemed important and I didn't want to lose it. And I also thought to myself, when else would I make a movie where the main character was writing an email to Wen Jai Bao? This would never happen again. And as a filmmaker, you're looking for unique things, strange things that tie into themes and ideas. So it was a conceit I didn't want to lose. Mm -hmm. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the film's title. White Tiger? Well, the White Tiger is a name given to the lead character, Balram Halwai, who in fact starts without even having a name. In the novel, he, he doesn't have a name. They just call him Muna. And later he is given the name Balram by his teacher. It's actually a scene that we shot uh, and it got cut in the editing room just for time. I wish I could have kept it, but sometimes you have to cut scenes that you like for the greater good of the film. But he is named the White Tiger by a school inspector who comes to his village and recognizes how bright and talented Balram is and dubs him the White Tiger, the, a rare creature that comes along only once in a generation. And um, Balram sees himself in that way. He sees himself in some ways rightfully as a, as a unique person and in other ways, you know, he's... Um, narcissistic and he's self-aggrandizing himself and, and beefing up his own self-image, which kind of gets to more epic proportions when he is a successful entrepreneur in Bangalore and, and dons his wild costumes and, and whatnot. Um, of course, all of this in, in some way in the novel, and I hope in the film, very satirical and, and tongue-in-cheek, but um, there's a lot of animal references in the film. Baram gets a job with a rich man and, and his family and the father who is a coal tycoon in Donbad is called the stork. And his elder son, who is a very rough character was called the mongoose. Raj Kumar Rao, his, his main master and employer who's a bit soft is known as the lamb. And I think part of that is because animals are very prevalent in the villages. I know this because my dad was born and raised in a village in Iran, very similar to the one Balram comes from in the film. 
He didn't have running water or electricity till he was six or seven years old. I've lived in Iran and I've been to that village and, and stayed there for many months. And when my dad saw the film and saw Balram hugging this water buffalo on his way out of the village, of course he shot up with joy because for him, it wasn't a water buffalo, it was a donkey. He, he still talks about donkeys and chickens in his home in North Carolina now as if he still lives with them. So when you're surrounded by that, I think Balram, Arvin, I think in a great way, pulled that animal imagery and made it part of how Balram sees the world. It is a first person narration in the novel, um, even more than the movie in the novel is really in Balram's head, which is important to remember. This is how Balram sees things. And, um, you know, in the film, it's, you know, you get a little bit more of the other characters because it's a film, but it's really his vision of how he sees the world. Balram narrates his story by addressing the Chinese premier, but not a Western superpower such as the United States or the United Kingdom. He identifies brown and yellow people as the next dominant forces in the world. So talk a little bit more about that and also whether the narrative would have been different today given the global majoritarian backlash against immigrants and non-white people. Yeah, I mean, he, he, the, the narrator Balram, again, it's very important to note this is Balram's perspective, not mine necessarily or Arvind Adiga's necessarily. It's a fictional character. Um, yeah, he, he sees the future of the world belonging, in his words, to the brown and yellow man and that the age of the white man is over. I think in some way we know this is true. Economically speaking, the only change that has happened, I think, since 2008 to now is that China really was the, the country that took off and didn't stop as an economic superpower. And India, I think we know, slowed down. Some of the reports, economic reports we learned in the last couple of years, maybe they had been um, fabricated or fudged or misreported. Mis Still, India did go through a, a wild period of growth. Um, there was a lot of change. Um, I think a lot of it uh, could be seen as positive even. So, and we understand that it's obvious the West, the Western world has gone into a decline. I don't think anything really would have changed that much. The backlash against immigrants, this is just because the, it makes sense when the West continues to decline, they see everything as a threat. But as the great author Suketu Mehta put it in his really great new book, This Land is Our Land, the creditors have come back to get what they want, right? The, if the British have stolen this much from India, and an Indian has a right to be in the United Kingdom and say, pay me back. When the Americans staged a coup d'etat, which is what I've been thinking about in the last week with what's happened in Washington, when I see that, of course, it's tragic, it's horrifying, people died. And I think about 1953, the US coup in Iran, toppling a democratically elected prime minister in Mossadegh and working in conjunction with the British to spread fake news in the country and take over and take the oil. So in that regards, I think it does make sense still perspective. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about how the film's protagonist describes India.
uses very powerful and interesting metaphors to refer to India, describing it as two countries, two separate countries, a country of darkness and a country of light. He also refers to India as a great rooster coop. What do these metaphors mean? And could the white tiger be seen as a human rights story and a critique of neoliberalism? Well, when you say the country of light and dark, I mean, he's just talking about, you know, Balram's character is describing what he sees as in many ways, rich and poor. Um, you could also think of it differently in, in American terms, it would be the flyover states, right? It would be how the entire country thinks about, let's say New York, LA, Washington, San Francisco, and then there's everything else that no one wants to think about or care about. So that's another way to think about it. That, because I think the film, despite being in, in taking place in India, it seems to me very relevant to an audience anywhere in America and UK. I recently showed the film to a friend of mine who's from Zimbabwe and she watched it with her family and her mom said, oh my God, it reminds me of Zimbabwe. You know, a friend in the UK recently saw the film and told him that it reminded him of life in the UK. So I think again, that specificity of the novel and I hope the film could lead to its universality in an age now where, where wealth inequality, those fissures and fractions are more exposed and are bubbling to the surface due to COVID, I think we're understanding that it's not really rich and poor, it's actually rich and everybody else, which includes the middle class, by the way. People who are struggling in America often can't understand it and don't want to recognize that they're actually living technically below the poverty line. And I think COVID is just exacerbating this divide. So I, I, I think the film could be even more relevant than before in a, in a sad way, in a frightening way, there's a simmering rage under the film that, that starts to grow in the second half of the film. And I, I think you can feel that now too. It's weird. You say light and dark in half, but the film is also broken in half in a way. Like the novel. The novel is very fun and, and entertaining in the first half. It's very satirical. It's very quick. It's funny. And then in the second half, in the middle of the film, something turns the story in a, in a very dark way and it goes into a darker place still with some humor and sarcasm. And the film does that too. So it's, it's quite funny along the way, which I like. And Arvin's great writing did that. The Rooster Coop, again, I have to clarify, this is Balram's vision of things. It's how he sees it. And um, he's, I think he's just feeling trapped like a chicken in a coop where he has no opportunity to get out of there. And it takes that dark turn in the middle of the film and in the novel to make him even realize he's trapped in it. He didn't even understand it, that he was trapped. And this one character is just trying to break out of there and reach his full potential as a human being, which he feels is being denied to him by the forces of society around him. Yeah, you're absolutely right in talking about the ways in which the film is highly specific. It takes place in the north of India and south of India in a village and in, and in cities. But at the same time, it has this extraordinary universal appeal as well. And I see a very strong parallel between your film and the 2019 South Korean Oscar winner, Parasite. Would that be a fair comparison? I think there are similarities. They both deal with wealth inequality. They deal with the, the simmering rage of the underclass. I loved Parasite. I thought it was a really, really incredible film. Probably that film, the first half is in its own great ways, a bit more broad. Um, the second half really starts to drift into horror, which... Director Bong is a genius at. White Tiger probably stays a bit more grounded 
despite its stylistic flourishes and its it Balram starts to have visions in the second half of the film. But I think on a surface level, yeah, I think there are similarities and I, and I really like that film. <laughs> Let's take a break and when we come back we'll talk about the film's adaptive strategies. an entire novel into a film, your film offers a very faithful representation of the narrative, the novel's narrative. And yet there are certain themes which I consider important, but you choose to leave out. For example, Balram's sexuality, he's known to visit prostitutes, or the simmering civil war, the Naxalite revolution that would be carried out with the help of the Chinese bombs. Talk about why you chose to exclude these two themes. Well, Balram doesn't visit prostitutes. He has one encounter, to my understanding, in the novel. In the early in the novel, when he's learning to drive with an old driver, that driver takes him to see a prostitute. Then in the second half of the film, he attempts to see a prostitute and fails. Actually, I did shoot that sequence, but the film was just getting way too long. It was a thread that seemed important, but less important than everything else. So you had, kind of had to make that hard cut. The hardest part in adapting the script was cutting things that I loved from the book because I like I like everything in the book. It's so good. In fact, since you know the novel so well, you may recognize that a moment in the film, late in the film, Balram is the entrepreneur Balram with the ponytail and the suit is sitting in a kind of a luxury hotel bar. And you may see some white people on the other side of the bar. This is actually because he was going to make a reference from the novel to the emaciated white women with their, you know, how skinny they are and, and how he no longer goes after the white women or blonde women. He wants a good Indian woman with a plump belly. It was in the scene, actually. I had to rewrite the voiceover because I had cut all the other elements, but I liked it. Like you, I enjoyed those parts, but it, it became, the film started to just become too long. It was a two hour, 20 some minute movie and I just had to tr- tighten it. Mm-hmm. Tighten the tr- he mentions the Knoxalls once. He doesn't reference them that much. He, there's some more talk about them in the second half of the book. I didn't include it for a couple of reasons. One, it's again, getting too long and it's very difficult to get people to grasp what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to make it as specific as possible. What, you, what I was trying not to do was over explain things that an indie audience would be like, why are you telling me? I know what that is. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to get it so that someone in Chile or Iran or South Korea could see it and understand it, mm-hmm. you know? I wanted my friend's mom in Zimbabwe to understand the film. Maybe they don't get every single detail, but they'll grasp it, you know, and then an Indian audience can understand some of those details and the cultural significance in a more rich way. Mm-hmm. But actually, you're right. Even in the novel, he constantly refers to the simmering civil war. You know, it can happen any time. And he refers to all the people that are sitting on this by the roadside and reading in the street, like they're reading newspapers, yes. they're catching up on the news. Yes. And it might be a Naxalite, you know, revolution. But then he follows that by saying, ha, as though. And it would seem that the central character is taking that revolution entirely upon himself. He wants to redress the, the inequity. It's for you, for me, yes. 
two things. One, I did film some of those people on the sides of the streets and he says the city was burning and it could, it could feel that I was burning too. That's some of that rage that you see on the streets there. Um, so that's that tone you're, you're talking about. And yeah, this is all in his head. He is an unreliable narrator. It's his version of what happened. You know, the novel is even more that way because I have to sit with Raj Kumar Rao and Priyanka Chopra and Mahesh Manerjee, sir, and, and Vijay, also great actors who were in the film and talk about their character motivation and what they're doing in the scene. In the novel, Balram and Arvind don't deal with that because it's just what he thinks and sees. You can't necessarily trust any of that. So all his thoughts, is, it's what he imagines, it's how he remembers it. <laughs> Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about India seen through the eyes of an Iranian-American filmmaker. You offer a brilliantly authentic representation of India, of both the poor and rich India, the streets, the desperately poor villages and slum dwellers, the terrible state of schools and hospitals, as well as the lives of the upper middle class people or you know, extremely rich people living in the shining cities of Delhi and Bangalore. Was it difficult to do so from the perspective of an Iranian American filmmaker? Well, I'm glad to hear you say that you felt it was authentic. That's meaningful. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I tried to do as much research as I could. All the films I've made, pretty much every film I've made has been about worlds and characters that I don't belong to. A Pakistani pushcart vendor and man pushcart, Latino street orphans living in a junkyard, an auto body shop in Queens, a Senegalese taxi driver from my hometown. I didn't know that location. You know, people being evicted from their homes in Florida. And you just do the research and try to make it as authentic as you can. What really helped here was one, having Arvin's novel as a guide and as a, a real playbook on what to do and what to look for. Uh, Arvin gave me a great tip. He said, when you go there to do the research, don't travel by a chauffeured air-conditioned car. Try to go by bus, by foot, walk around the way Balram would have. And so it was hot. It was summer. I went there, not because I wanted to. The schedule worked out in a way that when I went to do the research, it was like 110 degrees in Delhi. And, you know, you try to get you know, a few hours a day before you, you know, start to fall down. But you know, you walk around Old Delhi, you, you talk to people, you know, you go to the, those rich towers in Gurgaon for a location scout, and then you go to the garage and you look for the drivers, and then you talk to them for a few hours. You go to the parking lots in Kanat Place and talk to drivers waiting for their masters to get what's on their mind. What are they thinking? How much money do they make? What do they like to eat? Where do they come from? How many family members are they supporting? You travel to the Bihar region and go to villages. You go to Donbad. I think I was the only person on the crew that had been to Donbad, me and the location manager. No one had ever been there. So you go and spend a week in Donbad and meet people, talk to them, and you work with an Indian crew. Uh, my crew was 99% Indian. I took a one production designer with me from North Carolina with the understanding that he would hire an entire Indian crew. My cinematographer came from uh, Italy but the gaffer, the grip, the people involved in the lighting, the look, they were all Indian. The set decorators, they were all Indian. The costume designer, Indian. The casting director, Indian. The production team, entirely Indian. So that helps because they're always there to help make it more authentic. They're always there to offer feedback when you're shooting. I, I'm not sure this would be that way. I think it would be this way. Great, let's change it. Let's make it 
real, let's make it authentic. You work with a great casting director like Tess Joseph, who did films like Lion, and she's helping making sure the accents are great. You know, you're in, you're in um, post and you're getting feedback that maybe the granny's a little bit too Punjabi, so you try to redub some of her dialogues. I hope we got it as best we could because she was great and we, we tried to redub in some of those to get them less Punjabi and more from the Bihar region. A great producing partner, Mukul Deora, you know, he was wonderful to work with for a couple of years on the script and on set. And, you know, he, he was a, just a great partner to have. Where did you shoot the film? We shot the film in, um, what, what year are we in now? We've changed the year. Is it 2021 now? Yes. We shot the film in um, 2019 and we wrapped just before Christmas Day. And um, thankfully, because we finished before this tragic COVID started in earnest. And so we were editing uh, here in Brooklyn, gosh, all, all the way up until October, November. It was a long editing process. Um, because of the epic nature of the film and the voiceover and it was just, it's a big movie. So it just took a long time to put it all together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you were able to get all your shots before the pandemic happened. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, we did shoot a couple of small, like, um, uh, shots out of the car. We were missing a few landscapes or whatever. And the great uh, producer in India, Rakesh from India, take one. They'd done Slumdog Millionaire and so many movies they were able to wrangle some stuff for me there. And where exactly did you shoot the film in India? Well, the majority of it was shot in and around Delhi. So Delhi, uh, Faridabad, Gurgaon, so even Donbad was, was kind of fudged in that area. We had to fudge Bangalore in that area. Uh, it gets costly to move the crew to different places. And um, the village, that was the hardest part because the villages around Delhi were not really authentic to the time period the ballroom would have been a child. They had been modernized. Um, so we traveled to Agra and went to a very small village about one and a half hour drive from Agra. So that puts it at about almost four, five, four and a half, five hours away from Delhi. Mm -hmm. And so every day we would drive three hours back and forth to the village, mm -hmm. which really cuts into your shooting time. You have a set number of hours you can work every day. Mm -hmm. And um, we shot in that really awesome village there. The, the locals there were supportive and um, many of them are in those scenes. And, um, you know, the rest of it was in and around Delhi and Gurkhan and Faridabad. Mm -hmm. For you, how's the filmmaking experience in India different to that in the U United States? Well, it's interesting. I, I can tell you I had the most fun making this film of any of my films. And I think it's partially because the three lead actors were so good to work with, Adarsh, Priyanka, and Raj. They were just so wonderful to work with. Adarsh, he's a trained actor. He got a full scholarship to the best school in India. He had done a couple of supporting roles, but this was his debut as a leading actor. He's already been signed by big Hollywood agencies and managers now. And the 
press has really kind of got an eye on him as a kind of a breakthrough role this year. And he was just great, so great to work with. And then Priyanka and Raj as established stars were just wonderful and so inventive and inspiring every day and so friendly. And they just, and the three of them really got along, which I think you can feel in some of the scenes. And um, it was just a joy to work with everyone, the whole crew, you know, and you, you can get things, you know, unique things in India, unique looks, unique people. There's a scene I love in the film where um, a beggar woman is accosting ballroom and wants some money. That's shot in an entirely live environment. Nobody knows we're filming. The whole crew went away. It's just one camera person and a microphone on Balram and on the um, actress playing the beggar woman. And Balram, Darsh, the actor, would always tell me he would want to try something. And then he would try to tell me what that was. And I would tell him, don't tell me. Just do it. Surprise me and everybody else. The cameraman will follow you. And I just um, mentioned to the actress playing the beggar woman, whatever he does, just keep asking for the money. And so he goes kind of crazy in the scene and starts yelling at everybody around him, including the police. And I don't know those police. They, they, they're not part of my crew. We thought he might get arrested because he was shouting at them. It's kind of an amazing scene from the actor and, and the whole of old Delhi gets pulled into this moment. Unbeknownst to them, they're suddenly in this movie, you know? It's a really special moment, yeah. That's, that's brilliant, it sounds so interesting. Yeah. I'm sure filmmaking is a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work, but a lot of fun. It's a lot of hard work, too. Yeah. <laughs> of course, yes. How did you choose the actors? Um, Priyanka reached out to us because she knew the novel. She had read the novel and loved it. Um, she had seen my films and she's dedicated now as a producer also to making socially relevant films in India and in Hollywood. And that's kind of, she wants to do that. She wants to make meaningful films. So she just wanted to be a part of this as an executive producer and hopefully as an actor. And I met with her. I loved her immediately. She was smart driven, intelligent, kind, friendly, humble. And we did an audition uh, together later in LA, just me and her. I filmed it on my iPhone while I was reading with her and she nailed it. You know, she, she took the scene in a direction that surprised me. So I said, okay, great. Maybe you could try something different. And instead of trying different, she did the same thing, but even more. Mm -hmm. And that even more somehow made the scene work in a way it had never worked before. So I thought, wow, her instincts for this part are just spectacular. And um, I asked her if she would do it and thank God she said yes. And um, yeah, I think there's some similarities in the characters, honestly. Mm -hmm. They're both um, funny, they're both opinionated, they're both strong women, they're both driven women. They both have a moral center. Mm -hmm. um, they're both funny, you know? And um, that helped, I think, helped some rewriting for her and, and her improvisations were always fun and good. All three actors were really good in improvisation, honestly, mm -hmm. which I encourage, I like that. Mm -hmm. And Rajkumar Rao? It's great. You know, Raj is interesting because he's one of those kind of rare actors that can do big Bollywood films and do those awesome indies like Shahid, City Lights, Newton. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and interestingly, right, like, 
probably five, five to 10 years ago, they would have said he should play the lead, right? He, that would have been, he normally plays underdog character. In fact, to my knowledge, he's never played a rich guy in a movie, which was cool to push him into that territory. And um, he was game. He really wanted to do it. He loved the book. He liked my films. We clicked immediately. And um, he did a lot of awesome improvisations. I love his scene in that mosquito net where him and Adarsh go kind of, and a lot of those lines are improvised by Raj. He just kind of made them up. It was like, do it. And it's, it's interesting because for a man who doesn't drink, he's a very good drunk in a movie. He's excellent at playing drunk, but he doesn't drink in real life. I see. Yeah, yeah. He was awesome. Yeah, I, mean, I think both the actors were absolutely brilliant. Priyanka is such a fine and nuanced actress. And Rajkumar Rao, he's you know, both in independent as well as Bollywood films. You know, you, you say that about Priyanka because, and your Indian audience will know, because she's a great actress. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, in the West, she hasn't had these chants yet. Right. This is her, I think this is going to change the perception of her in the West. Mm -hmm. And right now, if you look at what she's lining up, she's lining up so many incredible projects in the West, mm -hmm. in addition to what she's doing in India, that I think it's going to be an amazing kind of period for her right now. Oh, yes. I mean, she's extremely talented, beautiful, versatile. Everything. Yeah. And of course, Rajkumar Rao, I love the way he pulled off this totally American avatar of himself. You know, like the act, he got every detail so right. Yeah, we had a uh, puja. We had an awesome accent coach for Raj and for the other actors when they needed it. Mm -hmm. um, and he put a lot of time and effort into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ex excellent cast. And... Um, and the central character, the Balram, yeah. what made you choose the actor? You know, there was an opportunity to work with big actors from the diaspora in the West, um, big Bollywood actors. I like all of them. I respect them. I want to work with them. They're phenomenal. At a certain point, I kind of thought this part needs to be from India, preferably not famous. If I was lucky, not from a big city. If I was lucky, they weren't rich or didn't come from a rich family. And Adarsh was all of those. And he was brilliant. Like he just came in the room and amazed me. In the first meeting, he showed up in sandals. He took them off. He sat on his haunches the way I had seen in Iran, how people sit. And I don't know if that's just how he sat or he was doing it because he felt that was for the part. It doesn't matter. It, it worked. It was awesome. He was invested. He was in the moment. You could see him in the moment being there. When I like an actor in an audition, I like to improvise with them and see what they do. Wherever I took the scene, he could go with it. And you could see him thinking, and he has a, an incredible smile. He's very um, warm. You like him immediately. He invites you in. And when he wants to, his face is thinking, manipulative, potentially threatening very deadly serious. He had that duality that I needed. Uh -huh. And um, he put in the time. He spent a few weeks in a village uh, absorbing it. He worked in a, a tea shop in Delhi washing dishes. You know, he, he spent time with drivers. One time the producer, McCool, told me he went to the shopping mall in Delhi, a rich one, and he saw Balram out of the corner of his eye, Adarsh, the actor, sitting with a bunch of drivers as if he was one of them, just chit-chatting with them, mm -hmm. you know? So he really invested himself into the part. Mm -hmm. Like a method actor would do. 
100%. Yeah. Well, you have an incredibly fantastic, brilliant, talented cast. Um, you know, Rajkumar, deeply nuanced and versatile. Priyanka Chopra, so talented and such a great actress. And now you have this new debut yeah. actor. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And I have absolutely loved the film. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope your audience likes it too. I'm sure they will. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Netflix, January 22nd. This was South Asian Films and Books, produced by Alka Kurian. The co-editor of this program is Cole Dibdahl.